Father, thanks for uh, just the time to meet, and thank you, God, that we have your Holy Spirit, that he lives in us, that he is all around us. We thank you that he helps us to learn, and he leads us into truth, and we have no need for human teachers uh, because you teach us. And so, God, uh, thanks. Thanks for teaching us, and thanks for being here. And thanks for uh, bringing revelation and understanding. We ask God that you would open your word tonight, that we would have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. We pray that we would be ready to receive the revelation that you want to bring and that you want to give. And I just pray, Father, that you would speak tonight and have your way. We are here to receive of you. We ask God that, yeah, we'd just be open mind, soul, spirit. We'd be ready. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Deuteronomy 31.6. Deuteronomy 31.6. As you're opening up, if you need a Bible, uh, grab one off the table. They are there for your use, and feel free to use them for Bible study and beyond. Uh, you can take that Bible with you if you'd like a Bible or need a Bible. Uh, please do. And uh, we obtain Bibles to give away. But as you're opening up, just a quick reminder, we have an interactive feature with Bible study uh, through a website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. And you go there, and there is a button that you can toggle. And if you toggle the button, you can leave us a what would appear to be a voicemail. And it gives you a little feature with that, that you could leave a message, listen to it. If you don't like it, do it again. Uh, you can edit your messages and make sure it's what you want to say and send it to us. But we'd love to hear from you. It could be a comment, a question, something good that God's doing, or it could just be hi or letting us know where you're from. Uh, we have people listening to the podcast from all over the world, and we'd love to hear from you. And so take a moment and send us something. We'd appreciate it but we'd love to hear from you. Deuteronomy 31.6. Deuteronomy 31.6. Need a volunteer to read that, please. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. All right, thanks for reading that. Uh, you have here a word from Moses. Uh, he is giving Israel a word assurance of assurance. And uh, what he's trying to tell them is this, is that they can count on something, and that is that God's with them, that they can count on the constant presence of God with them. Now, they were about to embark on something new. They are about to head on into the promised land. We know that Moses at this point is about 120 years old. He had been 80 years old 
when they started the journey. They'd been hoofing it for about 40 years, and he was about 120 years old at this point, and he's letting them know that he's passing the torch on to Joshua, and so Joshua would be leading them forward into the promised land of Canaan, and he would be staying behind because it was time for him to die, and that was it. So, uh, kind of interesting that the people were they're facing a couple different things. The the generation that was going into the promised land, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, had only known the leadership of Moses. In other words, they had been born and raised, lived their whole lives under the leadership of Moses. Now, something else that's interesting about them, they had also only known the leadership of God uh, as the pillar of fire and smoke. So they were being led all the time by the presence of God. And that he would come and he would be in the tabernacle with them. He was at the camp with them. He would go before them. He would move, they would move. He would stop, they would stop. That's all they knew. They knew Moses would go in and be in the presence of God. He'd come out, his face would glow. Uh, they, They had all of that. They grew up knowing the law that Moses had come down the mountain with. And so that's all they had known. Also, this generation had never been slaves. Their prior generation, their parents had, their grandparents had, but they had not. And so they were a different generation. They were a different group of people than what had left Egypt. And so these are the people that are heading into Canaan. They're the people that are going to go in and they're going to take the land. And so Moses is assuring them that God is going to continue to go with them. Now, he's not going to go with them in the same way that he had in the wilderness. It's not necessarily the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. Joshua is not Moses. And so Joshua would not have the same type relationship that Moses had with God. And so there was going to be some changes that were going to take place. These changes were important because they were something that would be different for this generation, something they'd never experienced before and something that they'd never done without. They'd never been without that direct leadership of the pillar of fire and smoke. They'd never been without the direct leadership of Moses as the intermediary between them and God, the intercessor. So they hadn't known this before, and so something was about to change. And you've got to understand that this was going to be a radical change for them. And, and so they were going to have to see something new. They are going to have to get used to something new. And so Moses is trying to prepare them for that. And he's going to assure them of that. Now, a lot of times we're coming to the end of the year. Today is the 30th, I believe. Tomorrow would be the 31st. And then it would end of a decade, and we're heading into a new decade in 2020 when this is being recorded. So... A lot of times when we come to New Year, what's, what's the big deal on New Year? What do people like to do? They make resolutions. Because uh, for whatever reason, this time that we come to the end of the old year and the beginning of the new year, people look at this as a time to an opportunity to make a change. And New Year's resolutions, whatever they mean, uh, I, I guess for some people... They, they mean something. Has anybody here ever had a resolution, New Year's resolution, that stuck, mm-hmm. that you actually kept with? Oh, yeah. 
I shocked myself. <laughs> What's one? Can you share it or not? I was in high school. And, okay. And I don't know if that counts, but I was like 11th grade for the... I, I had no sweets for, I was supposed to do it until like Lent or something, but I ended up going a whole year. No, nothing sweet. Nothing. Nothing. That was it. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody ever have a resolution that you're able to keep that actually it worked? Okay. So doing the Bible reading for the whole year, that's a good one. Yeah. I just caught up with mine today. Um, I've been catching up for a little while, and I just caught up today so that tomorrow I just have to read my normal one, and I'm done. Yeah. 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 I'm not cramming. All right? That's right. Like somebody hiding behind the poinsettias over there cramming. At the end of the year. Gotta get them. <laughs> get them CEUs done. All right. Hmm. All right. Okay. So, yeah, so there's a couple. I mean, that's good. That's good. Jeannie, you know? Yeah, I typically don't Nice. Forget it. <laughs> I don't really, I don't make New Year's resolutions either. Um, I may have when I was younger. I can't remember, but I'm sure it was just such a waste of time. I just never did anymore after a while. So, whatever. I figure if it's time to change, any day's good. Yeah. You know? When's a good day to begin something? Today. Today, man. All right. Good. Boom. Done. Get moving on. Okay. So uh, Moses is assuring them. So what I was trying to say about that, we, we enter the new year and and things we hope, we think, we plan on, some of us that to change and all of that. Uh, sometimes people look at the new year and they're afraid of what might happen or they, they might be looking at the new year wondering where it's going to lead or wh- what's going to take place or whatever. I mean, we, we always have something and we always we react differently to the unknown. If you think about the unknown and whether you like that or not. Do you like change? Some people do. Some people fear change. Some people, they, you know, they'll, they'll rearrange the furniture just to get some change going because they can't stand it anymore. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll do things to produce change in their life because they crave it and they want it. Others of us, we look at change and it's a fearsome thing. It's something that we look at and we just really don't want to deal with it. We'd rather just keep doing the same things over and over again and we feel comfortable with that and that's the way it is. So depending on our personality, depending on who we are, we might see the new year differently and we might see these opportunities or lack of opportunities, however you want to see it, coming up in different ways. So Moses, at a time of change, and this was a time of change, this is a, things are going to change. He, leadership's changing. Uh, where they're living is changing, living conditions are changing, what's expected is changing of, of who they're going to be instead of being wanderers and whatever they were doing in the wilderness, they were going to be warriors. And they were going to be expected to go to war on a regular basis in order to take back this land that their forefathers had and was promised to 400 years earlier. And so that was going to change. 
their lives were fundamentally going to change. And Moses is assuring them and letting them know that God's with them. Now, this is also applied. Somebody look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. And we'll go back to this verse 2 a little bit later in the study. But Hebrews 13, 5. All right, so the writer of Hebrews, the apostle, he's applying what this, and this was something, this assurance that Moses is giving to Israel. The apostle in the book of Hebrews applies it to all of spiritual Israel, meaning us, the believers, the, who we are as God's people. And so what we're seeing is that we have a specific word that's being given through Moses to the children of Israel as they're entering the promised land. So we have a, a specific time and a specific people. But then the apostle in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, takes that word that God gave and he applies it to all of us. And you think about the time he's writing in. You think about the time and the people he's writing to. And there were uncertain times. Times of persecution. Times of families turning against people in their families. Times of uncertainty times where people are being arrested, people are being tortured, people are being beaten for their faith. And so all of these things that are taking place, so the future is uncertain. And he, and he applies the same kind of word to them. Like, don't, don't depend on what the world says keeps you safe. Don't depend on what the world says makes you successful. Don't depend on what the world says will give you some security. And if you read that verse, that's what he's saying. He's saying, don't depend on money. Don't depend on the stuff that the world says is super important. He's like, you've got to know that God will not leave you, nor will he forsake you. In other words, he takes the same words that Moses uses for the children of Israel heading into the promised land, and he applies it to us in the church. And he says, don't worry. Don't worry. Be assured that God is with you, that the, the constant presence of God continues to be with his people. So, so don't worry about that. And so what you have here is Moses speaking to the children. He says, be strong and brave. Strong and brave. And, and so you, know, you think about being strong, be strong in faith. That could be one thing that he, that he wants to do because he's trying to encourage their faith. He's trying to encourage their hope. In other words, how are they going to see the problems ahead? How are they going to see the challenges ahead? How are they going to see the opportunities ahead? Well, he's encouraging them to see the challenges ahead in faith and not to be in fear because that's really what he's getting at. He said we're not to live in fear, but we're to live in faith. We're not to live afraid of people, but we're to live in faith in God and all that he can do and all that he's willing to do. So what he's really saying, he's like, through God, we need to do, let us do valiantly. Valiantly. And let's live victoriously. And that's what he's encouraging them to. And really that idea of fear is the idea of intimidation. That we don't, shouldn't live in intimidation. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wow, that's easier said than done. And that's likely true. But it still needs to be said, and it still needs to be done. Because that's what God's call is. 
That's what God's word is to us, is that we shouldn't live in intimidation. You know, the Bible talks about resist the devil and he will flee. Well, that's what you need to keep in mind. That's what you need to keep in mind, that the enemy of your soul, the, the enemy of your spirit, the enemy that is trying to destroy your life, trying to, to destroy your work here on earth, they're trying to destroy your family, he's trying to destroy whatever it is that you hold dear. That's what he does. He comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. He's a liar. That's who he is. He is our greatest enemy, by far. He's greater than any human He's greater than any person that's ever going to come against us. The devil is a greater enemy than all of them. And so our greatest enemy, our greatest enemy, we have a word from God about. He said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And so we have one fighting on our behalf. We have one that's been victorious on our behalf. The one who gave his life for us the one who was raised from the dead and he arose victorious over death, <coughs> hell, and the grave. All those things are true. And so he gives us this word and he says that we're to resist the devil. And as we resist the devil, he says that the devil then will flee from us. He's the, the greatest enemy we have. He's the greatest enemy we have. And if he's the greatest enemy, and we have a direct word about our greatest enemy, that if we resist him, resist, if we resist him, he will flee from us. That's a powerful word. Because every other enemy falls under him. Every other enemy. It doesn't measure up to what he does, what he has the power to do over our lives if we just let him run after us, if we just let him do whatever he wants to do. He has a lot of power over our lives to hurt us and to hurt the people we love. But we don't have to let that happen. If we will resist him, he will flee. So it's not just a standoff. It's not just us, oh, I'll resist the devil and I'll hold my own. That's not what it is. Because in some of our minds, that's what it is. I'll resist. I'll just keep going. I'll keep fighting. I'll keep resisting the devil. And I'll hold my own against That's not what it says. It doesn't say hold your own. It says that if you will resist him, he'll flee from you. That means he runs away. He leaves the scene. He leaves what he's doing. He leaves the work that he's engaged in to run away as we resist him. That means you would have to be bothered to do so. That means you would have to be bothered to, to actually apply some kind of effort to resisting the devil in your life and in the lives of the people you care about and in your family. You would have to somehow, somehow, just get enough gumption up to instead of running scared or instead of just being intimidated or instead of just thinking to yourself, wow, I'm just going to try to stay nice and quiet and small over here so maybe he doesn't notice me and he'll leave me alone. And thinking in those kind of terms, to actually be bigger than that, to actually be bolder than that, and to actually take a stand, resist the devil, and if you will do that, then he will flee. Because you think about the people Moses is talking to here in Deuteronomy. Who's he talking to? He's talking to a million people. They're not going to be able to shrink up and make themselves small. 
They're a huge, huge nation of people that's been wandering through the wilderness. They're noticed everywhere they go. People are afraid of them. Even if they're no threat to them, they're still afraid of them everywhere they go because they're just so massive. So they come up onto the border of the land. They're going to cross the Jordan. They're going to enter into this land. Everybody knows they're there. They all know. They need to go at it boldly. They need to go at it in faith. They need to go at it strongly and get to work. That's the word we have. The devil knows you're here. You're a believer. If you're just going to hide and do nothing, you're of no use to the kingdom. Seriously. You are of no use to the kingdom of God doing nothing. Zero. What God calls us to is to go at it boldly. Whatever it is He calls us to. To just do it. Just go, go, go to it and go at it boldly. The words that are used here, interesting. If you look back into the original language, it, it talks about be strong and brave. Well, that word to be strong, if you translate it literally, it means play the man. Play the man. That's what it means. And, and I, there's, there's nothing, you know, boy, girl, gender about this. Just understand what that means. Play the man and be strong. Be of good courage. Be of good courage. And what he's trying to say is this. Right? You need to get up and you need to be a man. And I mean that in every great way that any woman or man can do. You need to get up and you need to be a man. You need to take hold of it. You need to do it. And that's it. And I know we don't use that phrase a lot anymore because everybody gets all upset about it or whatever. But every now and then you got to tell you got to tell yourself. And and I know I've encouraged people this way in the past, and it hurts people's feelings sometimes. But you need to get up. You need to be a man. You need to do what you need to do. Period. Get it done. Get it done. Somebody look at 1 Corinthians 16.13. Interesting here, because you see a little echo of this. 1 Corinthians 16.13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Alright. Anybody else have a different version of the Bible? You should, you should look at a different version of the Bible of that verse. Um, because it's kind of interesting. First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. Because what you're hearing there is the Old Testament. You're seeing a translation of what the literal words are. It's kind of like we have idioms that mean something. But if you look at what the literal translation, like if you look at a literal translation of what an idiom is, sometimes it, it's kind of funny because it paints a picture. What's it? Yeah. Okay. What is yours? Uh, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. <laughs> right. Right. Because what you're seeing there in that verse is the same thing. Is that they translate themselves out of it because they don't want to offend anybody. Same thing in the Old Testament. Like This verse says literally, be a man. That's what it says. So Moses looking at the children of Israel is like, you need to be a man and get up and do this. 
Be strong and courageous. In Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he's talking to the Corinthian church. He is literally saying to the Corinthian church, you guys need to be men. Get up and do this. Because what's implied by saying that? Why is that offensive? You're not being a man. You're being a baby. You're being a child. And and what he's what he's saying to the believers, like, get up and be an adult about this, and, and you need to be strong, and you need to be courageous, and you need to get this done. And and we don't like to hear that. Well, they probably didn't like to hear it either. But when you got a 120-year-old man standing up in front of you, telling you, get up and be a man, what are you going to do, yell at him? Well, I mean, you're going to take it. Because 120 years old, you're going to take that. He's just letting you know. Because he's the only guy you've ever known leading you across the wilderness for your whole life. He's it. Everybody else is dead. you got Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. And Moses is the only leader you've ever had. And he looks at you and he says, be a man, would you? It's time to go into the promised land. It's time to take care of business. And you think about their enemies that they were going over there. Their enemies were numerous. Their enemies were mighty. Some of them were giants. That could be intimidating. Their cities were large. Some of them had big walls around them. Strong walls. These were people with resources, money, and power. They had every reason to be intimidated. They had been wandering around in a wilderness their whole lives. That's all they knew. That's it. But they need to be men. They need to be adults. They need to go about the business they were called to do. But this, but that. No but. Time to go. Yeah, but you don't understand. What, Moses didn't understand? Of course he did. The Apostle Paul didn't understand what was going on in Corinth? I think he did. I think he did understand. I think here's a guy that had been shipwrecked. I think here's a guy that had uh, been beaten. Here's a guy that had been whipped, beaten with rods, stoned, left for dead. He didn't know about it? He didn't understand? Well, of course he understood. He understood what it was to be persecuted. He understood what it was to be thrown into jail. He understood. He understood what it was to be beaten with rods. He understood what it was to be stoned and left for dead. He understood what it meant to be shipwrecked and out at sea, floating around on stuff. He got it. Bitten by snakes? Yeah, he got it. And understand, understand that these are the guys that are saying, you need to get up, you need to be men, you need to get it done. Period. There's no excuse. There just is what it is. So as much as we don't want to hear that, as much as we want to complain about what's against us, which 
Like I said, they had plenty against them. Numerous enemies, mighty enemies, giants that were enemies, strong cities, powerful cities, money, resources, had all that against them. Experienced warriors, experienced armies, all of it. No excuse. No excuse. Kind of interesting that Moses goes on and he talks about how God never leaves or forsakes us. And and what that describes for us is that we have a God who journeys with us. He's on the journey with us. The Bible uses the idea of a journey to talk about our lives. And you can substitute a word adventure, you can substitute a word uh, whatever you want there. But it's a journey that we're on. And in any journey, if you've ever been on uh, any kind of trips, especially international trips, but uh, longer trips even here in the U.S., if you've ever been on anything where it's kind of unplanned or whatever, you, you know that a journey takes a lot of different speeds, and a journey has different uh, obstacles, challenges, things that can go wrong, things that go right, provisions, times of lack. That's just the way it is. And, that, and that's how it's described for us, is that we're on a journey in our life, and we have a God who goes with us on that journey. He's with us. And you think about in the past, in their case, the past to them was the wilderness. And God was with them all through the wilderness. They had the pillar and the pillar. They had Moses. They had tabernacle. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They saw victory. They saw defeat. They saw times of plenty. They saw times where they didn't have plenty. And so these were people that had experienced a lot on that journey. They were basically going in circles for 40 years on a journey through the wilderness that they, they, they ran into people that loved them. They ran into people that hated them. They ran into people that wanted to help them. They ran into people that wanted to destroy them. It's just the way it is. That's the journey they were on. But in the past, they had seen God's provision. They had seen God's victory. They had known manna their whole lives. Manna was stopping. That meant they couldn't just go out and collect every morning, six times a week, twice on Friday. They couldn't do that anymore. They were going to have to grow wheat. And they were going to have vineyards. And they needed livestock. They needed to plant vegetables. The days of the manna were coming to an end. That was going to be before them, but that's what they experienced the most. They knew God's provision. They knew His victory. They had defeated armies that were larger than they were in the past. But they knew victory. They knew what that was. They knew what it was to be taken care of. They knew what it was to be led. They knew all of those things about the life they experienced in the wilderness. That's the God who had journeyed with them in the past. And what Moses was saying is, this same God is going to journey with you now. Because you got the past, but you also have now. And it's as you live is now. This is as we're living, recognizing that God's on this journey right here and right now with me. Now, if you're in a good time, is that a big deal? It's like, oh yeah, God's with me. When's it hard to really understand God's with you? It's in the hard times. It's in the times where you maybe don't feel His presence or He's not doing what you expect Him to do. 
Because there's lots of times where God leads us into situations or we get led into circumstance where it doesn't seem like this is what we would have chosen. And, and it's hard for us to understand this is what God has for us. That's, t- that's difficult. But recognize Him in the midst of that. He's, on, he's with you on that journey. Even in the midst of the times where you don't get it. And being able to see that, being able to experience that, being able to understand that. And, and you know, we're looking ahead. You think about how do you drive when you're driving a car? You just look right in front of where the headlights are? No. you got to look out. You need to see cars that are changing lanes in front of you, traffic that's stopping in front of you. You need to see the road. You need to see hazards in the road. You need to be able to look ahead a little bit. But you're still now. You'll get there eventually. But He's the God who's with us now. He's the God taking care of us now, even as far as we can see. And so I don't even... I consider things that we can see as part of our now. But then you think about the God of the future that will journey with us. Well, that's really the unknown. That's just, that's the unknown. That's out there beyond what we can see. That's beyond the headlights. It's just dark. And we don't know that. We can't see that. That's around the bend. That's over the hill. But I think it's significant that God doesn't just send us on the journey. There's been generations that have come before us that that's the way they saw God. But that's not who God revealed himself as. They saw God as a God who you know, gives us a slap on the butt and says, go ahead, have fun. That's the way they saw him. But that's not how he showed himself. That's the way they understood him, but that's not how he revealed himself. And some of you have been affected by that, by those generations that have come before us that they say, well, you know, we're kind of on our own. We'll just do our thing. He's out there somewhere. That's not the God we serve. That's not the God who showed himself to Israel. That's not the God who showed himself to the New Testament. That's not the God of the Apostle Paul. That's not the God of the writer of Hebrews. Because that God that has revealed himself to the Scriptures is the God who's with us on our journey. He's intimately involved in our lives today, right now. He has been, he is now, and he will be in the future that we can't even see yet. But he goes with us. Past, present, future. That's who He is. That's who He reveals Himself as. And so if we carry those ideas, and I want, you to, I want you to consider whether or not you carry those ideas, they need to be rejected from our minds. Because they keep us from a key understanding of the God that we serve. They keep us from a key understanding of how He wants to reveal Himself and to show Himself in our lives. Because if we see Him as some faraway being that is just setting us on our way, sending us, then we're missing a key component of what it is that He is God with us. Emmanuel. We just celebrate Christmas. And and that's one of those names for Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us. It's key understanding. It's key understanding of the Old Testament. It's key understanding of the Gospels. It's a key understanding of the New Testament church. God's with us. He goes with us. Has, does, and will. That's who He is. And so we need to reject those ideas that tell us something different. We need to let that go. 
and let that just kind of fade away. Let it drift off somewhere. We don't need that. We don't want that. That's not who we are. That's not who he is. Somebody look at Exodus chapter 40 and verse 36. As I was speaking earlier, this is, a, this is one of those verses that I just picked it out because it just speaks to the God who is with His people. Exodus forty thirty six. And all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set up. All right. All the travels. How many of the travels? All. So in all the travels of the Israelites, the cloud would come up from the from the tabernacle and would lead the way. And so when the when the cloud would rise up from the tabernacle, everybody in the whole camp would see that happen and they'd say, oh, it's time to go. Because God is going and it's time to go. And so they'd pack up all their stuff, they'd pack up the tabernacle, pack up everything they needed, the whole camp would break, they would get ready to go, the cloud would start moving, it was time to go. And they'd have a cloud by day, fire by night. And they would move as long as the cloud was moving. They would go. God was with them. God was leading them. God was a part of their journey. Key part of their journey. Everywhere they went. So he didn't just send them. He didn't just say, okay, just stay on this road. I'll, I'll catch up with you in a little while. It wasn't like that. He was with them the whole way, all the time, everywhere they went. Because that's who he is. Now, he's also with us. Let's look at uh, Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. All right. Now, understand this verse. Understand it. We look at that, and and I've preached this, and I've said this, here you have Jesus giving instruction to his disciples. He's going to send them. He's sending them out. He gives them a job to do. He tells them, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission. Now, what, what do we sometimes overlook about the Great Commission, though? It's the end of it. What does he say at the very end? Because it sounds like he's saying, okay, go ahead, get to it, Right? Isn't that what it sounds like? Isn't that the way you've heard it and the way that we receive that? Is that, all right, this is your job. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, get going. See ya. But what does the end of the verse tell us? Yeah. For lo. Lo. I am with you always. How much? Yeah, always, right? To the end of the age. So for how long to the end of the age? How many times? Uh, how, much, how often is he with us? Always. So 
what we miss in these verses and what we overlook a lot of times is that this is a continuation of what we're looking at tonight, is that we have a God who journeys with us. He's with us. So here's what I want you to do. Go make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm with you all the way. Every step, every moment, I'm with you. For how long? To the end of the age. So, were we ever alone? We're never alone. Who's with us? He's with us. And you look at the beginning of those verses. All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and in earth. Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations. So, so we're, out, we're going out. We're making disciples of all nations. We're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But who's with us? Jesus is with us. How often? Always. Till when? The end of the age. How much authority does he have? All. So the guy that's with us, the guy that journeys with us, the guy that is, is, is at our back, at our side, in front of us, however you want to see him journeying with you, he is with us, has all authority in heaven and in earth. All of it. There is none he's missing of authority. And so, based on that, we go and we do the work that he's called us to do. Are we by ourselves? We're not by ourselves. He's with us, with all authority. That's why it makes sense. That's why any of that makes any sense. He took a bunch of guys that were uneducated. He took a bunch of guys that had, didn't have a lot of training and didn't have, weren't that great at public speaking or whatever it was that they needed to be able to do. They weren't that great at anything. I don't even know they were good fishermen. I have no idea. Or good tax collectors or good zealots or whatever they did. I had no idea how good they were at anything they were doing. But it made sense. He's like, I want you to go and I want you to do this. But I'm with you. And I have all authority. I'm with you on your journey. Here's the journey we're taking together. Yeah, he never leaves us. And He never forsakes us. And and really, the translation of leaving us is a little added thing that is clear as it's translated literally. He never leaves us to ourselves. He never leaves us to ourselves. Which, if you know yourself a little bit, you might appreciate that. Okay? Because when we're left to our own devices, when we're left to our own thoughts, we're left to our own inner world, there's usually a problem. There's usually some deception, some problem, usually something that gets in the way. Because we're just not really good at certain things as a people. And it's really better that he's with us. So he doesn't leave us to ourselves. He doesn't leave us to our own smarts. He doesn't leave us to our, our own abilities or our own talents, our own gifts or anything else. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. He doesn't even leave us to our own fears. We don't have to dwell in fear. He's with us. We don't have to dwell in, in any kind of, of intimidation. We have one who has all authority standing with us. He's there. 
And so, being free from ourselves, we can go about something greater than us. We can go about something greater than what we can figure out. We can go about something greater than, than, than our experience base. We can go about something greater than the things that we thought are important or the, our understanding of things. We can go about something greater than what we can muster up in and of ourselves. That's why it makes sense. That's why a big call makes sense over our lives because we're not alone. That's why a big call makes sense that, that God has something for us. Well, I can't do that. Of course you can't. That's the point. We're not really called to do stuff that we can do in our own strength. We're not really called to do stuff that we can do in our own smarts or our own experience. We're called to bigger things. We're called to greater things than that. Because the one who's with us is able. The one who journeys with us can do it. He just chooses to want to do it through us. He just chooses to want to give us that opportunity. He just chooses to want us to to be with us and to help us along the way. That's what He chooses. It says He never forsakes us. That means that He is present. He's present. So He never leaves us to ourselves and our own devices, but He's also just ever-present. He never never leaves or forsakes us. He's always present because He's here to assist. Now I want you to hear this. He wants to assist you, wants to assist me, and provide opportunity for success. Man, success is nice, isn't it? Isn't that nice? Isn't it nice to set your hand to something and to, to be successful? Here's the key. Here's the key. You can never forget who journeys with you. You can never forget who has all authority. Ever. You can't. Because as you will recognize that in your life, as you will see that in your life, I mean, it's a really, it's a thankful thing in our hearts and our lives to seek success. It really is. But never, ever forget why you're successful. Ever. Because the one journeying with you is giving you that opportunity. The one journeying with you is providing the authority and the power to see it happen. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. There's been times in my life where I've had people that have had authority and power help me. People. And and give me an opportunity I wouldn't normally have because of their position and because of who they know and, and because of their authority. I have no problem with that. I'm not one of those guys that looks at it and says, no, leave me alone. I want to do it myself. That doesn't even cross my mind. I could care less about that. I'm thankful for the opportunity. I'm thankful for the moment that I have to get up and to do something I wouldn't have the opportunity to do otherwise. Super thankful. And I recognize that God opens doors like that. I've seen people do it, sure, but I know God does it all the time. I know God gives me the opportunity. I know God assists me. 
in those opportunities, in those times. And the more I recognize Him, and the more I trust Him, and the more I believe Him, and the more I hear Him, the bolder I'm going to be about going about what He's called me to do. And the more success and the more opportunity for success I'm going to see in my life. Somebody look at uh, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. All right, well, just believe that. Those are his plans. Those are God's plans for your life. Now, think of those plans as not being forced on you. And read those read those again. What's his plans for us? Plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope and a future. Yeah. All right, so prosper, hope, and future. Those are his plans for us. He's not going to force it on us, but those are his plans for us. How do those get messed up? You, you tell me. Yeah, who? but who? It's me, right. Yeah, if his plans are success and prosperity and a future and a hope, and those are his plans for me, but they're not something he's going to force onto my life. If I'm not seeing those things... Where do you think that, that the blockade comes from? It's not him. It's not his will or his purpose or his plan. He says, I have these plans for you. This is what I have for you. These are the things I want for you. That's not the issue. The issue comes down to me. It comes down to me. And I'm either going to get on board with him, which I should, because the journey is real. And this journey is, his plans for my journey are really good. Prosperity and success and hope and a future, they're really good. That's his plans. We're on the journey. So I suppose if I'm not resisting him every step of the way or every other step or every tenth step, and I'm falling into what he has, and I'm trusting and I'm believing and I'm living in faith, I'm walking in his authority, and I'm going to begin to see those things in my life. And I do believe that. I really believe that. And so this is uh, what the Bible, like what a lot of Christians will call a promise. I don't necessarily believe God makes promises. Because he doesn't need to. You know what God makes? He makes statements of fact. And to me, this is a statement of fact for our lives. And it's one of those statements of fact that you see in the Old Testament, and then you see it again in the New Testament. If you remember, we started off, I mentioned Hebrews 13.5. Well, Hebrews 13.5 is a direct parallel to Deuteronomy 31.6 and Deuteronomy 31.8. Because what we see in these verses are the same statement of fact that God is making for our lives. And this statement of fact is that He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. Those are the statements of fact. And that's what He's saying to us tonight. That we're on a journey, but He's on the journey with us. And really the words that... I'd like to leave you with are the same words that Moses gave the people assuring Israel the apostle applies 
to the New Testament church. They're, they're words of hope. And they speak to us about the constant presence of God in our life. And he makes them as a statement of fact for us to encourage our faith and to encourage our hope. And so I want to encourage your faith and I want to encourage your hope tonight. That the one on the journey with you is strong. The one on the journey with you loves you and has great plans for your life. The one on the journey with you has plans for success for you and prosperity, future, and hope. Let's believe him in his statements of fact over our lives. Let's just take a moment and pray. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for looking out for us. And I thank you that you're with us. That this journey that we're on, this life that we're living, that you're with us and you stay with us. You declared that you'd be with us and you are. That you don't leave us and you don't forsake us. You told Israel that. The apostle told the church that. This is who you are. This is who you are. And I just want to say thanks for assisting and providing an opportunity for success for our lives. I pray, God, that we respond to you in faith and we respond to you in hope. Because I thank you that you call us to be strong and brave and not to live in fear or intimidation, but to recognize you, to find you all throughout the journey of our lives. And so, God, I pray that we would find rest in your presence, we'd find peace in your presence, we'd find hope in your presence, and we'd find strength. Strength in your presence, God. Thanks. So God, I say thanks for your love. Thanks for being with us. I pray that we would recognize it. I pray, God, that we would live in it. If we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, good to see everybody tonight. Thank you for coming out. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.